If you would take your copy of God's Word and turn to Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1. The title of this morning's message is, Do You Wish for Wisdom? Now that may bring on some different thoughts. When we talk about wishes, we may think of a uh, lamp that we found or an odd-shaped bottle that we rub and a genie pops out and all of a sudden we have wishes that we're offered. We're not talking about that. We know that's a fairy tale. We're not going to turn to it, but in 1 Kings 3.5, God, not a genie, shows up in a dream to Solomon, the king of Israel. And he says, ask what I shall give you. Can you imagine God asking you, what shall I give you? Some of you men in here are thinking, man, that car that I've been wanting, or that house, or, you know, if we sat down and thought about it a little longer, we'd say, maybe a, a position of power or prominence would be something I want. If we had that ability to make that wish or that desire to God. And even in, in verse 11 of that chapter, God says that Solomon could have asked for long life. He could have asked for riches. He could have asked for the lives of his enemies, but he didn't. And if you know the story, we know that Solomon asked for an understanding heart. To govern and to have discernment between good and evil. So God gave wisdom to Solomon. Wisdom that would be greater than any person that had ever lived before him and greater than any person that would live after him. The magnitude of his wisdom, if you want to read it later, is found in 1 Kings chapter 4. I would encourage you later on maybe today to go and read of the magnitude of Solomon's wisdom. But under the power of God, this wisdom is penned by Solomon in the book of Proverbs. Folks, do you think it's pretty important that we read the book of Proverbs? I think it is. I think it is. So will you stand with me and we're going to read the first seven verses of this book together. It says, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Let's pray together. God, we ask for that wisdom this morning. God, that you would speak to our hearts through the power of your Holy Spirit. That God, if there are areas uh, in our lives that need changing, that we would be willing to do that even today. God, if there's somebody in this room who is not understood that they need a Savior, that they fear the Lord in need of a Savior, that maybe even today, through this service, through what you're going to teach through your word, that they might come to a saving knowledge of you. God, we pray for this service. Move in it. Let your Holy Spirit speak. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. The word knowledge and wisdom are closely related. Let's establish the difference between these words. Knowledge is having the facts. You know the truth. You have the facts. Wisdom is taking those facts and applying them to life. Taking knowledge and applying it 
to life. You act on the knowledge. And you, know, you might be thinking, isn't that automatic? If, if we have the knowledge, if we have the facts, we automatically move to the practical side of putting it in our living. I wish that was true. How many times do we know the right thing? How many times do we have the knowledge? How many times can we even verbalize to someone else what we must be doing or what they should do? But yet, we don't do it. We fail. There is a difference in knowledge and wisdom. These first seven verses that we've read this morning contain the title, the goal, and the motto of the entire book. And I want us to do something a little different this morning. I want us to look, first of all, at the last verse we read, verse 7, because in that verse we see the word beginning. The word itself is foundational. And we'll see that what we do with this verse will, in essence, affect the rest of what we talk about this morning. So read it with me again. It says this. The fear of God, right? No, it says the fear of the Lord. You see... There are different gods, but when we look and see the word Lord with capital L, we are referring to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. You know, over the last two weeks, we have heard the issues, the problems that face us as a nation. The two issues that seem to be coming to the top are the economy and health care. And we've heard from the leaders, whether it was from Tampa or here in Charlotte, as to what they think the solutions are. And I listened for someone to go beyond those issues because we have a much bigger issue than the economy and health care. In fact, both of those issues and all other issues would be solved if we would start back at the beginning, the beginning of what we just read, the fear of the Lord. In our lifetime, we've seen God removed from our schools. We've seen the Ten Commandments taken off the walls of our governing institutions. We've changed our language to become more politically correct as not to offend. All under the umbrella of separation of church and state which was not formed to keep God and his truths out of the public institutions but to keep the government out of the church so that we never return to the main reason we sought this land of freedom the freedom to worship the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob that was the will of our founders And we've lost that in the cloud of being PC. You may be thinking, we've gone too far, Kevin. How can we change? How do we as a country again fear God? Can I say that there are still churches in this country that fear God? Can I say that there are still individuals that make up those churches who fear God? But in some ways, we've been lulled into an ideology that we have no voice, that we are powerless. But can I tell you what God says? He says in James 5.16 that the prayer of a big group of people has great power. No, he says this, the prayer of a righteous man, a righteous person, availeth much or has great power. 
as it is working. And if you were to go on later on in that chapter, you would see an example given of Elijah, who prayed, and for three and a half years, rain was stopped up. It didn't rain, a drop. And after that, he prayed, and the, the skies opened, and it rained. Did Elijah have the power to do that? No. But he was a man of prayer, and he prayed to a God who has the power to do that. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and allow them to heal their land. Is that what it says? It says, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin. And God says, I will heal their land. These verses are addressed to us. Are we earnestly praying for the leaders of our country? Whether or not, if you agree with them or don't agree with them, it doesn't say that in the scripture. It says we need to pray for them. Are we truly praying for our officials? Are we humbling ourselves, seeking the face of God, turning from our own wickedness, and in turn seeing this land healed? Could we go as far to say is because the reason this land is not healed is because God's people have not turned from their wickedness. We want to see this country fear God again. We, the people of God, must fear Him first. Amen? Second part of verse 7 deals with the attitude toward wisdom and instruction. Look at it. It says this, Fools despise wisdom and instruction. We can assume the opposite to be true, that the wise welcome, encourage wisdom and instruction. I heard a saying that smart people learn from their mistakes, wise people learn from other people's mistakes. I think that's good. Wise people welcome wisdom and instruction. If you were to read on in the next nine chapters specifically, but on through the 31 chapters in, in Proverbs, you would see contrast over and over of the foolish and the wise. Look at it. He'll hold your finger in here and go over to Proverbs 3, uh, talking about worry, a verse you probably can, can quote. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. There's another thing. Go down a couple of verses to verse 9, dealing with giving. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your pro- produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Flip over to chapter 10, and I'm skipping over a whole bunch, but, but chapter 10, verse 5, deals with laziness. It says, he who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. Chapter 16, verse 5, everyone who is arrogant in heart is an, an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished dealing with pride. It even gives dating and marriage advice. Look over in Proverbs 25, verse 24. It is better to live in a corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. And I don't want to hear any amens. <laughs> There's a lot of practical advice in Proverbs. We could go on and on. Go back to chapter 1. You know, it's interesting that in verse 8 and 9, it deals with the first place we receive instructions of wisdom. Our parents. Read it with me. 
It says, hear my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Notice it does not deal with the specific instructions that parents are to give their children, but with the attitude by which children should receive instruction. It reminds me of a, a story of a little boy who was standing in the back seat of his car. Mom was getting ready to go run an errand. She was kind of in a hurry. She said, son, sit down. We need to go. Buckle up. We need to go. She said, no, I'm going to stand. I want to stand in the seat. Now, if you have children, you have probably experienced this clash of wills. If it hasn't yet happened yet, hang on. It's coming. After repeated reasoning and explanation of the safety hazards of, of standing in the back seat and talking about how mom could possibly get a ticket if a policeman came by, he is still standing. So mom has to get out of the car, physically sit the boy down in his seat, buckle him up. Finally, they're on their way, and mom has prevailed, or so she thinks. As they pull off, her son with arms folded and scowled face says boldly, I'm sitting down the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. Our goal in the discipline of our children should not be to correct behavior, but to change the heart. Sometimes we get through the heart by reasoning. Sometimes, sometimes it has to be accompanied by a sore bottom, which was my case for many times. Dad, don't say amen. I think his, one of his life verses is Proverbs 13, 24 that says, Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. My dad loved me a lot. <laughs> this is the key. The way that our children listen to us and respond to our discipline is the way they will eventually listen to God and respond to his discipline. Let that motivate you to go beyond changed behavior in your child. Seek a changed heart. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The wise welcome it. Verse 2 begins to share the goals that Solomon had in writing the book of Proverbs. We can apply those goals not just to a book, but to a life of who we need to be a wise person. Let's glean some of those things from that. Verse 2, let's read it together again. It says, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight. You know, it's not enough that this book contains wisdom. We must have a desire to know it and to understand it. Proverbs 31 has 31 chapters. They're packed with practical wisdom. Why don't you take the chapter that corresponds with the day of the month? Most months have 31 days. If you have your Bible sitting somewhere at work or in the kitchen where you eat or wherever, take your Bible out and think, okay, today is the 10th, the 9th, whatever, and we go and we turn over and we read that passage of Scripture, I will tell you, I can almost with, with assured confidence, that if you read that chapter, there will be something that happens that day that will make you go back and go, whoa, I read that this morning. How many times does that happen? Is that accidental? No. God works that out. I want to encourage you to do that, to take that Gideon Bible and if you need one, buy one. It's $1.35. Put it somewhere where you can have an extra one. And read that Bible, that proverb. The next goal is to receive instruction, verse 3. It's not enough just to know it, to understand it, but we need to receive it, to internalize it, to receive instructions in wise dealings. In righteousness, justice, and equity. 
Can you know something and, and not make it personal? We've already said that. Yes, you can. When we make it personal, what does it do? It begins to change us. Teens, I'm going to pick on you with this one a little bit. Your parents have these sayings. Uh, it's those ones that you sometimes mouth word for word when, when you don't think they can see you and kind of the rolling of the eyes goes and you're like, hey, when they're saying it in the other room. You know what I'm talking about? It's that talk they have when, in the car before they drop you off at a friend's house. You probably can recite it. It's what they say before you leave on that date. Sherry's dad used to say, remember who you are before we left. Good advice. It, it, it's, it's what they tell you when you're, when you're choosing your friends, the advice they give you. It's that story they have told you ten times. When I was your age, and you think, I am going to go crazy if I hear this again. The other day I was about to give them some words of wisdom and instruction by way of a story, and I started to tell it, and I stopped. I said, wait, have I, have I told you guys this one before? And I'm not going to tell you which child, but one of the child said, a million times. <laughs> and then I was like, okay, I was like, going to stop. And like, another one of my children said, I hadn't heard it yet. I was like, I felt better. I was like, okay, <laughs> so I'm going to tell it. So I told it one millionth and one time for instruction. Knowing it and receiving it is different. Teens, do you learn from those things from your parents? I know you probably get tired of hearing them. But I can almost tell you, you're probably going to say some of them when you're adults to your kids. Then it gives four areas in which we should receive instruction. The first one is receive instructions in wise dealing. What does that mean? That, that you begin to have the ability to make right choices without other people helping you. That you actually go to the Lord and you say, man, here, here's what I've got to do. And, and, and it's not maybe a choice between good and bad. I mean, there are those, but a lot of times as we grow in the Lord, it's a, it's a choice between better and best. And we, we sit and we go, mm, what is this? And, and we say, God, I need your help with this. I'm struggling with this. You go to wise people. You, you, you call your parents. You, you look to them for advice. And you say, dad, Mom, Dad, what do you think? By the way, let, let, me, let me stop and say, teens, there's a time, probably 13, 14, that your mom and dad become the stupidest people on earth. You're like, their hero status is gone. Mine, mine's gone. They're like, this, you know, you've gone to lame status. But somewhere around 23, 24 years old, when you start making these decisions, you start thinking, you know what? Dad might have a good idea on this. Mom might have a good idea on this. And let, 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 let me give them a call. And all of a sudden, they become smart people again. And, and, and we go with these decisions to our parents and we, we seek out godly people who, who are going to give us godly advice. We, we, we go to the Lord and we say, God, I've got this decision to make. And we think about it, we ponder it, we pray on it, and God shows us and we, we make that decision. We're wise in our dealings. We receive instruction in righteousness. You begin to get it in your walk with the Lord. It's not mom and dad kicking you out of the bed saying you're going to church or, or we're going to go on the mission project and you're going along and you're going to have fun. It's you saying, I want to go to church. I want to be involved. I want to give of my own money. I want to hear what God wants to say to me today because I love him and I want to know more about him. Amen. You start to get it. Number three, we receive instruction in justice. Some of your translations may say judgment. And this is the way we treat other people. It's not always all about us anymore. And you know what? Sometimes we are gracious and forgiving. Somebody does something to us, and you know what? We say, we're going to be gracious this time. We don't say that out loud in our hearts. We think that, and we say, I'm going to forgive them. Or other times we say, you know what? Justice is going to prevail, and this time their consequences are going to, hit it, are going to kick in. 
Does God do that for us? We need to learn that, understand that. And then we receive instructions on equity, which is simply knowing how to be a fair person. Boy, all of these things, these four things are things that are part of wisdom. And as we grow, these things become natural to us. We become mature in our walk and people see the way we act and treat other people. And they say, wow, there's something totally different. I, did, I wronged that person. They should have come back and just punched me, hauled off and nailed me. But they didn't. They, they, they overlooked that and they walked past it and, and they're mature and they make good decisions. And I see over and over, they, they love their family and they, they take care of their bills and they do all these things. And how did they get that way? They saw wisdom, godly wisdom. Read on in verse 4. It says, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. To give prudence to the simple. This phrase can be said this way, to give cautious discernment to those whose minds are an open door. Simple is not a derogatory term here. It simply means people whose minds are, are moldable, who, who have their minds open to wisdom. And then it goes on in that same uh, passage, verse, to talk about youth. So I think in some ways it's, it's pointing towards young people. Here in the book of Proverbs, Solomon and ultimately God is asking young people or anyone else whose mind is an open door to find godly discernment in all that you hear. That the things you hear, the things you see, you take those and you compare them to what the scripture says. Youth, that's going to be a college professor, probably someday for you, who challenges your faith, who challenges the truths of God's word. There's some obvious ones. That's one. But can I give you one, just one that speaks into your open mind on a regular basis? Maybe not so obvious as a college professor. What about your music? If I started playing some of the background music of the top ten right now with no lyrics, didn't have to play the lyrics, you could probably begin to fill in the lyrics. Why is that? Music is powerful. And when we hear the, the tune and the beat and all that, and then we stick the words in that, it goes right into this mind that's open. And you can sing the whole song. I mean, if you hear it a couple times, you know the lyrics. What are those lyrics saying and teaching you? Let me give you a list. Top five. I looked it up last night. I went to American Top 40. I'm going to give you the top five right here. And, and I, want, I want to test this. Number five, Payphone by Maroon 5. Don't know the song, but probably some of you are sitting there going, yeah, I know the beat of that one. And I'm starting to sing the lyrics right now. I know that. I know how it goes. Here's another one. Number four, Where Have You Been by Rihanna. Number three, Titanium by David Guetta. That was number, don't know these, don't, I, I know one of those out of those three. The next one, which will surprise you, used to be a gospel uh, singer, uh, Christian gospel artist. Uh, the number two song on the chart is Wide Awake by Katy Perry. And I know some of her songs and they are horrible. <laughs> and again, I, I say those names, I say the title of that song, and instantly you've, you've heard, and that tune's going into your head right now, and some of those lyrics are, are, are going into your brain right now. Another one, Lights by 
Ellie Golding. I don't know her. I wanted to do that as an experiment to tell you, young people, media is powerful. It is so powerful. Can I encourage you with something, though, in parents? Can I encourage you with something? On that top ten list, though, were two Christian artists and Toby Mac and Lecrae, which, if you look at their lyrics, now you may not agree with some of the music style that you, or it's not your favorite, but the lyrics, when you look at those, guys, they're great. Be filling your mind with those lyrics that are patterned after God's word. What are you allowing in the open door of your mind? It needs to be wisdom, God's wisdom. The book of James, sometimes referred to as the Proverbs of the New Testament. It says in chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, that is driven and tossed by the wind. Does God know our motivation when we ask for wisdom? Of course he does. He knows when we ask for wisdom because we truly want to live like him and understand his word and his wisdom, but he also knows when we just want to look spiritual. He knows when we're on the way to class and didn't study for that test. God, give me wisdom. Failure. He knows when we're on the way to that business meeting and we have not prepared. Go back to chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. I'm going to pick on the middle to senior adults a little bit. It says, let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. Should we ever have a know-it-all attitude as a believer? Folks, you know, the more I study God's word and the more I try to obtain wisdom, the more I realize I don't have a clue. I've only scratched the surface of an omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God. And if I were to think I, I have it all together and I know it all, guys, let me tell you something. I've got to deal with my pride. Because in reality, compared to God, I don't have a clue. I need his wisdom. Another thing, does it say here that there's an age limit on learning? Is there anything in here that says you know, once you get to a certain age, you can stop learning? Mm-mm. Dr. Willis inspires us on staff. He, just a few months ago, went back and took some classes at CPCC to learn more about senior adults in his ministry. I mean, he, he's 82? I mean, we sit in staff meeting, we bring, up a, we bring up a topic we're stumped on, and back in, 19, back in 1973, you know, <laughs> when I was serving up in New York, you know, he, don't handle it like this. You know, I mean... That wisdom seated there that's been through life, yet still, a few months ago, goes back and takes a class at CP. That's an inspiration. There's no age limit to saying, you know what, I don't have to learn anymore. Continue to learn. Continue to learn. There's no age limit on learning. Do you desire wisdom that is from God? Do you really desire that? 
I want to encourage you in your prayer time. Maybe the first thing when you get up and pray in the morning is to say, God, I need your wisdom today. To pray the prayer of Solomon, what, what is that, what we ask in the book of James, to say, God, I need wisdom. And pray it with faith that God will give that to you. That's a foundational prayer, but then when we're out and about and we walk up and a problem is shot right in front of us, we're like, whoa. We may say without bowing our heads, closing our eyes and getting down on our hands and knees, but say this, God, I need some help right here. We may whisper that to the Holy Spirit and guess what? He's there. And we go through and we, we take care of that situation. We walk away and we say, what was that? That was God. Because I have no idea how that came out, but God took care of that and gave me the wisdom I needed. Boy, do we need to pray that way? We do, don't we, Arliss? Are you in a place where you, do, where, where you need God's wisdom because all around you there's man's wisdom? You want to ask for that same wisdom that Solomon asked for and then begin to practice it. Know it and practice it. Maybe you're here and you've never had the fear of God and repentance. That you've sat and you've heard, maybe you've been in church every once in a while and you've gone here and there and you've heard about some things in the scripture, but you're coming to understand the knowledge that you need a Savior. And without a Savior, if you were to slip off in eternity, and folks, I'm not saying that the Bible doesn't tell us, that if you were to slip off in eternity without a Savior, you're going to stand before the Lord in your own merit? Guys, if I stand before God in my own merit, I am in trouble. But you're understanding and you're having the knowledge that, you know what? The only way I can stand before God is to stand there with His Son who was perfect, who will cover my sin. Have you made a decision? And that, that first choice of wisdom to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You can do that today. You've been living a life by the rules of worldly wisdom and need to honestly confess that and allow God to teach you His wisdom. I've asked Dr. Willis to come and to read a passage in closing out of the book of James on wisdom. James 3, 13 to 18. He's going to read. We're going to have some music and then we're going to open the River Jordan. Saying about it this morning, this altar. If you need to wait on in, it's open. Come down here and do business with God. I'll be down front. And then Dr. Willis is going to close us in prayer and the benediction. Dr. Willis, you come, you read for us. The scripture reading is from James, the third chapter. Beginning with the 13th verse through the 18th. Listen as we read. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice.
But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceful, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace.